Today on Better News Radio with Pastor Ricky Alcantad. Why then? Why then would this be in the Bible such, a, such an, an uncomfortable, kind of a, a scary, a, a terrifying doctrine? Why would this even be in the Bible? Why would Jesus talk about hell more than anyone else in the Bible to save us from it? He is not bringing this knowledge to be like, nah, 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 you're going down. He brings this knowledge with tears in his eyes, pleading with us to turn away. Open God, oh my soul, he is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock in your hiding place. He's a mighty fortress. What the Bible says about hell tends to make us uncomfortable. It's a difficult teaching to accept, but that doesn't stop Jesus from talking about it. While some may label Jesus' words about hell as unkind, the reality is that warning about hell is an act of love. As Pastor Ricky points out today, knowing the truth about hell allows us to be adequately warned, to know the true consequences of our actions. Jesus didn't tell us about hell and then leave us to suffer. He sacrificed himself to provide salvation. Now let's join Pastor Ricky in the book of Revelation chapter 20. As he continues his message, only God can judge me. In our American culture, we, well, I think our national, people argue about what our national sport is. What's the national sport of America? Is it football? Is it, you know, whatever. Baseball. The baseball fans are losing, but I'm rooting for you guys. It's fun. You know, the national pastime of America, the national sport of America is judging. <laughs> right? We, we love to judge. We, we pour over celebrity news judging their hair, judging their relationship, judging their jobs, judging their relation, you know, that the person they're with now. And all the guys are like, yeah, what my wife does on, you know, watching Bravo is so stupid. No, you just judge the front office of the Dallas Cowboys and whether Dak is a decent quarterback and what you would have done on third and long in the playoffs, right? This is, this is America. America loves to judge others. We have networks devoted to it. Why? By the entire world was watching a stupid celebrity trial. We had no you know, real stake in. Why? Because we want to make ourselves feel better in relationship to them. Like, I'm not that crazy. Like, honey, I mean, I, you know, I used to think I'm crazy, but look at this guy, you know? Look, this is the reality. When I was in, in mock trial in high school, we went to the courthouse downtown all the time. So, you know, first the courthouse is a little intimidating, but then you kind of get used to it. Then it just becomes, oh, we go practice mock trial at the courthouse, you know? After hours, say hi to the security guard on your way up, you know, kind of talking with, chatting with your friends on the way up. But then, years after being in mock trial, I missed a jury summons somehow. I, 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 I put it by my bedside table and it fell in the crack and then I missed my jury duty. So then I was summoned to the courtroom to explain myself. And so I, re I remember walking to the courthouse and the courthouse would look so friendly and familiar, all of a sudden started to feel a little different. You know, the security guards that I would wave at, all of a sudden I'm like, are they gonna arrest me now or maybe later, you know? You start to feel the reality of like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be in front of a, a, a real judge. We're not playing anymore. Like that's the reality. I will stand there. You will stand there. And you will be accounted for individually. 
not as a group, right? You, you, you won't be your family that kind of comes together. Listen, if you're in middle school or high school, you gotta remember this. You're not gonna come as a family and like your mom and dad's faith is like, well, you guys get kind of over the line, so you guys are in and you're like, whew, then you slide in with mom and dad. Neither will you slide in with your church. Because you have sat here in these seats today or for years does not mean that Cross of Grace corporately will be called to account corporately and we'll just kind of have a group grade and you're like, phew, like the person in the group, the, you know, the college group that didn't really do their part but got the A anyway. If you're hoping for that, it's a no. You will stand before the throne. Question three, how will they be judged? And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them, and they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Now, the, the death and Hades imagery is used, it's using Greek imagery to make a point, right? Remember the three planes? It's saying, listen, the, the underworld people, they're not safe from the judgment either. Like, in other words, it's almost as though the, that God and the throne are crashing through all the planes of reality, and, and the dead are summoned as well, every single one of them, and the books are opened. Now, there's two books going on here. First is, or a book or set of books, is a record of deeds, a record of actions. So, People are judged according to what they had done. Now, this is on one level good. The rumors about you that aren't true will finally be dispelled on the last day, right? You, you won't be judged according to that. You know, that, that's, that's not gonna happen. Instead, you'll only be judged according to what you've done. Well, somebody could say, well, 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 well listen, is this gonna be a fair trial? Is it gonna be an impartial jury? You know, what, what, what if the jury's being unduly influenced here? You know, we're, we're Americans. We're like, we know our rights. We're gonna hire the best lawyer. Well, let's think about this. First, the judgment is made with full and complete knowledge of your life. Look, God is omniscient. He sees everything. And, and scripture says, scripture actually goes further. He sees through everything, right? Jeremiah 17 says this. I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. He sees through all the bluster, all the facade. He searches hearts and thoughts. Look, what this means is this. The, the imagery here is vivid. The books of everything you've said to your spouse will be open. The internet viewing history of everything you've ever seen online will be unrolled. The record of every text you've ever sent, every word you wish you could take back, every, everything you should have done but did not do, all of it will be fully and completely there. And the judgment then is made according to the perfect and true standards of justice in God himself. Like all this, this talk of like, well, what if the jury gets influence? What if there's undue influence in the jury? Look, this is the one judge in history that's not gonna be unduly influenced by anything that truly and finally and fully upholds the standards of justice that so often in this world 
are not upheld. Look, often we, we judge ourselves in relationship to other people. Right? One of the reasons we love to, to, to watch celebrity meltdowns or Bravo or whatever is that we can look at somebody else and go, I'm not like them. I'm not that bad. feel better about myself. Maybe even in your family, you're like, okay, well, I'm, I'm, not, I'm better than my spouse at least. Well, well, listen, I have a record of wrongs my spouse did and, and you know, and, and I could make a great case about, against my spouse. And I could make a great case against my family that I grew up with. And I can make a great case against my boss. And I can make a great case against my ex-friend or ex-boyfriend. Listen, on that day, you're not gonna be asked for all of the documents you have for your case against anyone else. The only person that you'll give an account for is you. And you will be judged not in relationship to others, but in relationship to justice with a capital J, truth with a capital T, righteousness with a capital R, and, and the character of God. And you could, we'll say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. What if I didn't know all of this stuff? Listen, this judgment is made according to the law of God, both written on our hearts and expressed clearly through his word. Romans 1 says that every person, every person, has, in a sense, the, the, the knowledge of good and evil written on their heart, that we know what is right. We know the good we ought to do. We do not do it because we suppress it and we choose to do something else. We choose injustice instead of justice, unrighteousness instead of righteousness. And, and then, essentially, the law of God in Scripture, the Ten Commandments, the teaching of Jesus, just help make obvious, in a sense, what we already know to be True. I mean, what is the standard? Okay, it's summarized by Jesus. The law is summarized this way in Luke 10, 27. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That's what the Ten Commandments is about. First several are about loving God and not putting other things in his place. Now listen, that is incredibly important in and of itself. We were made by God. We were made for God. We were made with, 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 with beautiful handiwork. And when human beings say, you know what? I rebel instead of rejoice in your rule. It's the source of all injustice. When, when you say, I'm gonna be on the throne instead of God, like Adam and Eve did in a sense, and every Adam and Eve after them, when you say that, not only is it cosmic treason, it is the source of the brokenness, injustice, pain, and evil that pervade the world. And then that, that brokenness is walked out in our relationship with others. Sometimes we can see that even more clearly, right? For example, the Ten Commandments say don't murder. Well, Jesus says, hey, listen, the same God in Jeremiah 17 that knows your heart knows when you wish you could kill somebody. And you're thinking, well, I've never thought that. Careful. The book's gonna be open, right? Well, maybe that was, you know, maybe I had that, you know that one coworker, you know, that, that's gonna be the reality. What about adultery? Jesus says, not only does God see when you commit adultery, he sees when you wish you could. Then even the 10 commandments, you shouldn't steal, great. You shouldn't take what's not yours. Have you ever done that? Have you ever taken credit, taken something that didn't belong to you? Have you, in the commandments, been guilty of envy and wished you could? 
Like, would you steal it if nobody would catch you? And then the do's were summarized in, in other words, those are the do nots and the do's are summarized in love your neighbor as yourself. Love the Lord your God, love your neighbor as yourself. What does that look like? For example, Micah 6, 8, what does the Lord require of you? But to do justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with your God. Meaning that, that what the Lord requires of us is not unreasonable. It is to act justly, to help others, to be kind, to walk in humility. And here's the reality. When we compare ourselves to the law of God, any of it, love, your, love God, love your neighbor, guilty. Ten commandments, still guilty. Micah 6, 8, guilty. But here's the thing. People are like, well, I don't know if I agree with all that. You know. Okay, I've, I've heard a pastor use this, and I've used it, and I've never found anybody that can say that, that this is untrue. If you took every person and asked them to write their own moral code down, your life code, what should pe- how should people act? Right? It's warped by sin, but even if you could take that warped thing and get it down, well, I don't think people should cheat. I don't think people should you know, think about cheating. You know, I, you know, I think... People should, should always be fair, should give credit, should, should do their part, should help them, you know. If you wrote down your own moral code, if you had somebody write it down and say, okay, pause, what's your verdict of your own life? Guilty or not guilty? Nobody can even live up to the moral code they make for themselves. This is the reality. It's, it's embedded in our hearts. Even if you're here and you're not a Christian, you're like, I don't know if I agree with any of this. There is a thing in your heart that's going like, well, I'm a little nervous, though, where this is going, right? That, that, that's the reality. Question number four, what is at stake in judgment? And if anyone's name was found not written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Now, there are two books, remember, the book of deeds, now this book of life. The book of life is what determines our eternal destiny, and notice how different this is. Notice how different this is. Our, our world thinks of reality as just a dot and, and whatever you do here and now, you just do it and pop, you're done. Scripture's view is that this life is a dot with an infinite line extending out from it. That human beings were made to live forever and they will. That's directly opposite the, the world's kind of metaphysical materialism, that the world only believes in what is right in front of us, but, but all of us deep down have the knowledge that says God, Scripture says God has put eternity into the hearts of men, meaning that we all know that there is something out there beyond the grave. What is? Well, it is eternal blessing or eternal judgment. There is clarity in the preceding passages that while a lake of fire is a metaphor, Meaning like, do, is there a literal lake of literal fire? How does that even work? You know, is it like an oil spill kind of fire or is it like all the fire, you know, the water, you know? Okay, the, the metaphor is meant to communicate, to press a reality into us that is this. There is a place of justice and judgment in which human beings which live forever will endure justice forever. Now, what is it? We're not given all the details, but what we see just here should make us shudder. And the reality is that often with folks, there's a a conception that that the Old Testament God is kind of like the grumpy, angry, fire and brimstone God, but the, the New Testament version of God, which is Jesus, is like new and improved. Meaning like if you go and you always use like a laundry detergent, you tried this other one years ago, but then you go to the store and it's like, New and improved, new formula, or new great taste. You're like, well, maybe, you know, you try it. 
It's not as though the New Testament is the new and improved version of God. He's the same God. In fact, you may be surprised to learn that the person that speaks the most about hell in the Bible is Jesus. In fact, over, in fact, 20 times, Jesus likens judgment to a fire. Take Luke 16 as an example of Jesus' teaching. A rich man is taken to hell for his injustice and evil, and he longs for relief, and none can be found, and no escape door exists there. Now, this is, let me acknowledge this, even in the room, you can kind of feel like, oh, man, I wonder what the other people in this room think of this. You know, this feels pretty, pretty harsh, pretty intense, we remind you over and over again, church, the Bible is an equal opportunity offender. Every culture in world history, you take their kind of way of life and you match it up to the Bible, it's gonna always press and confront in different ways. And this happens to be one of the places that our, our culture finds it incredibly offensive that a man in the sky would judge them at the end of their life, but has no problem judging other people all day. It's us that we will want to admit our place under this. this. And, and we should rejoice. Like, hey, you're going to be placed under a true and good standard of judgment. Like, awesome. You're going to get a fair trial. Great. But this is what's at stake. Randy Alcorn sums the Bible's teaching up and, and encourages us, church, not to be God's editors. Would this be an easier text to preach out loud in America if we just struck verse 15 out of it? Like Thomas Jefferson taking our pen knife, slicing out the verses that don't land well with us. Alcorn sums it up this way. Yes, hell is dreadful, but it is not evil. It's a place where evil gets punished. Something can be profoundly disturbing, yet still moral. Hell is moral because a good God must punish evil. He must, church. If he did not, would he be good? Alcorn continues, much more is at stake than the doctrine of hell and the question of universalism. We don't own the Christian faith. It isn't ours to revive. He continues, God's word wasn't meant to be given away piecemeal, leaving the next generation with leftovers. If we go on decade after decade, parceling out fragments of the faith, what will be left? When we abandon truths Christians once died for, will we no longer have truths worth living for? What is at stake? Eternity is at stake. Now, ask yourself, why then? Why then would this be in the Bible such, a, such an, an uncomfortable, kind of a, a scary, a, a terrifying doctrine? Why would this even be in the Bible? Why would Jesus talk about hell more than anyone else in the Bible? To save us from it. He is not bringing this knowledge to be like, nah, 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 you're going down. He brings this knowledge with tears in his eyes, pleading with us to turn away. Which brings us to question number five. How can anyone stand before this judgment? This is the mystery of Revelation 20. Why does the Bible not end at the end of Revelation 20? Why isn't the last verse in the Bible, if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the fire? Everybody's guilty. Everybody's been judged fairly. They're all gone. End of the Bible. Why does it continue? 
Why is a new heaven and a new earth come down? Why is a holy city, New Jerusalem, come as a bride adorned for her husband? Why is there rejoicing? Why does God then dwell with, with, some, with some group of people for all eternity? Why can that take place? Revelation 7 answers that question. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands. Remember, they're before the throne and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Okay, I don't get this. How can there be a group of people that, that see the judgment, that have the gavel ring over them, that respond to it with joy, with rejoicing, with crying out that salvation belongs to God and to the Lamb? Verse 13 answers that question. One of the elders addressed me saying, who are these clothed in white robes? From where have they come? An especially relevant question coming from Revelation 20, from the judgment throne. Who are these people that are rejoicing instead of wailing? And John said to him, sir, you know. And he said to me, these are the ones coming out of the great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb. Oh, church, this is why the gospel is such good news. This is why the word gospel means good news. That the judgment is not, in a sense, an inescapable sentence to death. Rather, for this group of people, for those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the lamb, this judgment is an occasion for rejoicing. This lamb, as we saw in Revelation 5, offered himself in the place of his people. And that means this. Anyone, anywhere who done anything can dip their robes in the blood of the lamb and find them turn miraculously white. Look, to change the metaphor back to the courtroom, listen to the language of Romans 8.33. Imagine you're there. Imagine books are open. Imagine the book of life is being examined and sentencing is about to be issued. Listen to, to Romans 8, verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is always interceding for us. Imagine the scene that as books are open and you look helpless and hopeless to your lawyer, almost ready to ask, can anything be done? You turn to find that your lawyer is Jesus Christ himself. And before the sentence can be issued, he says, one more thing, Your Honor. I paid for that sin. Open God, oh my soul. He is strong and he is strong to save. Open God, he's a rock and you hide in place. He's a mighty fortress. Imagine you're sitting in a large theater and the curtain is down. There's a lot of anticipation about what's about to be seen on stage, but the curtain is covering up all of the stage props. As the music starts, the curtain goes up, and you're able to see what's before you. 
The word revelation comes from the Greek word apocalypse, which refers to an unveiling. So think of the book of Revelation as a type of unveiling or revealing of what God plans to do in the future. It's pretty great that God gives clues and glimpses into the future rather than just leaving you to wonder with no frame of reference. As Pastor Ricky has been teaching through the book of Revelation here on Better News Radio, we trust that you've gained some valuable insights into God's heart and desire for a relationship with mankind. If you have some questions about what you've heard today, you can give us a call at 915-562-7100. Once more, that number is 915-562-7100. Pastor Ricky Alcantad is the pastor of Cross of Grace Church in El Paso, Texas. If you're interested in joining us for more teachings in person, go to betternewsradio.com and click on the church tab. There you'll be able to access information about where we're located and service times. We trust that you're enjoying this series in the book of Revelation, and we look forward to the next edition. In the meantime, stay deeply rooted in God's Word and look for ways that God is speaking to you on Better News Radio.